0: Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, on this lovely evening, David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna take you to task here before Nicole
1: does, because we know she's going. to. This is a movie that so barely qualifies for around the world, <laughs> considering the fact that half of it takes place in America. I know, uh, but still, I'd never seen
0: it before and enjoyed it very and the
2: much. Cast the cast is half American. Cast is half
0: American. Yep, <laughs> it's a British movie. Garden. Yeah, I know. I know. The reason I, I did it was because. Crap early. Yeah, it's it's a it's fun and I love this movie and I'm glad we get to talk about it. But I, I admit it is it's an it's on the line. <laughs> it's on the line. Uh, but Nicole, now you don't have to take me a task. Nicole Davis, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. I'm good.
0: Alrighty. <laughs> well,
2: There's so many colorful things I want to say, but that I've learned so many new expressions this week. I
0: know. (laughs) Uh, Audience, audience, fair warning. If you want to understand what we're saying half this episode, you might have to go watch the movie because I am going to bleep anything we say. And it's quoting this movie. It's a very vulgar movie.
2: Almost everything Peter Capaldi says.
0: Oh, Oh, boy. The doctor had a mouth on him before he was the doctor. I'm pretty sure uh,
1: I saw a video of when they announced he was going to be the doctor, that it was like you know, people saying things to the doctor, and then it would it would cut to Peter Capaldi <laughs> lines from
0: this movie
1: <laughs> in response to what they said.
0: I love it. And it's so rich with content because he played the same character in a show called uh The Thick of It or Thick of oh, It Oh, I think
1: it may um, have also it may have been that actually as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So this was and this was really the breakout of This becoming critically acclaimed and then eventually turning into the American series of Veep. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, though, and announce this week's movie, next week is You Did This to Us. We're at the end of the five-week cycle. That means you, the audience, are picking the movie. You are voting right now. We will not know what it is at this current time. Oh, boy. But Future Me is going to tell you what we are watching right now. You all voted and will be watching Step Brothers. All right. That's what we're uh, going to be watching. Uh, how oh, could <laughs> yeah. Might be really good. Maybe that's going to be a really awkward soundbite where we're saying, oh, man. I have
2: like, seen the yet. Or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, boy. So we watched In the Loop this week. came out in 2009. It is a British film. It takes place largely in America. During an interview, British cabinet minister Simon Foster delivers an off-the-cuff remark that war in the Middle East is unforeseeable. Uh, Profane political spin doctor Malcolm Tucker tries to cover up Foster's faux pas, but the ill-conceived comment is picked up by a warmongering American official. Foster is invited to Washington, D.C., where a war of words brews as politicians maneuver, manipulate, and deceive each other before a U.N. vote on military action. Um, The reason I picked this movie, because I know it's kind of how I start a lot of these, these picks right now, I picked this because... I have a great love for the writing of this movie. Uh, it's profane, yes, but it's profane in a very intelligent way, I think, a lot of the time. It really is intuitive in its profanity. And I also think it is the perfect antidote to uh, more idealistic um, portrayals of politics, which we'll get into later. And um, it's also the segue into what would become one of the most acclaimed and beloved. American political shows, Veep, with uh, Julia Louise dreyfus scoring her tons and tons of Emmys and just endless acclaim for that show because that show was actually created, and written by the same guy who create, wrote and directed this. Hmm. So when you watch this movie and you think it feels like Veep, that's why. It, it is, it's pre-Veep. In fact, there's actually one or two actors that are holdovers into Veep. And there's actually some jokes and situations in this movie that also hold over into Veep. Some things were recycled. But I think if you have a love of politics, then this movie will be endlessly entertaining to you. And if you do not have a love of politics, this movie might be endlessly infuriating to you. (laughs) And I think that's why it's fun to talk about. Uh, Nicole, had you seen this before? Mm.
2: I have, actually.
0: Okay. And David, had you? No, this was my first time viewing it. All righty. Okay. So, Nicole, um, I'll, I'll pop over to you briefly then since you had seen it before excited or dreading a rewatch
2: dreading (laughs) not because (laughs) i no i i think it's extremely smart i think it's extremely cleverly written about people i don't give a flying fart about
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely no this is this is one of those movies where and i think we're going to kick it off with one of your discussion topics because you have yeah, a really this good has one.
2: what I think of as the Seinfeld problem,
0: where mm, it's you'd, you'd really say.
2: smart, it's really funny, and I don't like any of the people on screen, so I really don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's well, <laughs> Seinfeld's whole gimmick. For the longest time, was that they're all narcissists, right? Oh yeah, well
1: yeah. And and Larry um, Larry David eventually got to this point where he had to, like people talking about how great the characters
0: are, and he's like, they're the worst people in the world. <laughs> I know. Spoilers. They go to prison at the end of the show. Oh, Still mad about that. In any case, didn't, it might have happened before I was born. No, I was born. Okay. Still mad let's about not, it. Let's not go down that rabbit hole, Brett. <laughs> I don't like the ending of Seinfeld. But yeah, the, Nicole's totally right. And Nicole actually put something in our docket that I'm frantically searching for. Um, yeah. Is this movie only funny in the abstract? Are we meant to care actually about any of these people or are they symbols or stereotypes? And I would go as far to say, aside from maybe some side characters that orbit the main cast of maybe ten or fifteen important people in this movie. Nobody is a good person. I um, okay. I don't think that he's necessarily a good
1: person, but Tom Hollander's character, Simon Foster, yeah, he's trying. He's he's sincere. Which That's I, fair. Which I think yes, is what a lot yeah. of these like. Which I found myself really pitying him by the end of this movie. <laughs> like I felt so bad for this guy who like. He probably got involved in politics because he wanted to make a change, and he saw what making a change actually looks like, and he somehow became
0: a warmonger. I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, and, and it ends up with the American officials telling him that he will resign, right? He no longer has a say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's probably the only character that is is genuinely maybe – I can be sympathetic with him, right? Like you said? Yeah. Because – everybody else is either a scumbag or has very weird motivations or is just Peter Capaldi. Yeah,
1: <laughs> everyone's, everyone's out for themselves in this movie, I, yeah. in, their, in their personal and professional lives. Yeah, Even when it comes down to uh, towards the end, when it's like uh, you, these characters who are, who are claiming loyalty to one another throughout the whole movie, when it comes down to it, they're not going to take that bullet for one another. No, they're looking out for number one.
0: Yeah, that that's kind of what I like about, you know, not to jump to the end of this movie, but one thing I really do like about it is all these very tentative packs that characters make. Um, you know, there's an assistant secretary of state that makes a pack with a with a war general to both resign over the war because it's apocryphal and terrible. That's exactly and, what
1: I'm thinking of, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then there's and then there's the fact that, you know, you have Toby, one of the main characters that is Simon Foster's aide, and um, you know, that just completely Blows into the dust at the very end of the movie when Simon Foster is not only replaced, but then an entirely new staff is just kind of funneled right in, right as a different guy puts his, you know, briefcase on Toby's desk as Toby's cleaning it. And, uh, there is no loyalty or love lost in these circles, even when people think there is. And I think that's a very, Important political lesson in this movie because that happens in our modern political cycle every day. No one is really that loyal to each other. It might be cynical, but I think it no. captures it beautifully. <sighs>
2: No, you mean like a revolving door cabinet that we have in this country? That that <laughs> yeah, kind
0: of that, yeah. It's, it's you know with, without delving too deep into we won't. Don't worry, we won't piss any of you listeners off. We're not going to get no, into no. I'm just that's yeah. right, the
2: yeah turnover is a little high.
0: No, that, that that is a really good point. Can you imagine all politics, whether or not you like them aside, the inside of Donald Trump's White House must be like this movie. Like, everybody must be out to get the next person.
1: (laughs)
2: Well, I mean...
1: Okay, yeah. It's easy to say about this current... Oh, uh, every president. Oh, I'm sure
2: every president. Even even the ones I like better.
1: Right. Going back. And not even necessarily saying like the president, but it's like the people who are in the cabinet, people who work in the White House. You know, the West Wing portrays this very, like, extremely loyal, everybody's out for one another sort of thing. I feel like the reality is much more this movie.
2: Yeah. 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 That, I, I added that to the docket actually, so I wouldn't forget. I actually lived in the DC area and worked there for a few years when I was right out of college. I worked for a, a lobbying group that lobbied to get funding and attention for uh home health care. And the people in DC are easily it's it's easily the most insular city I've ever been in. You hmm. know, there's the this highway and a, like a ring road around D.C. that they call the Beltway. And there's inside the Beltway and there's outside the Beltway. And inside the Beltway is almost like its own planet. And people really are as far up their own butts as this movie portrays them as being.
1: <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> And they're all
2: that vicious and you could see Car accidents at like five miles per hour. You'll see two cars like plowing into each other in a merge because neither of them wants to let the other guy get ahead.
1: Oh god, driving driving in D.C. like going outside of political things, even just driving in D.C. is the worst <laughs> because I don't understand how they set that city up at all. It's yes, it's it, city's a mess. It is it is seriously like you are out. fewer are out. The actual yourself. layout is nice. Yeah, it's it's aesthetically pleasing. Uh, but driving there is a nightmare. It's yeah. on every level from the top of the government to walking down the street, you are in D.C. for yourself. There is no one else <laughs> who will be there
0: for you. Yeah. And, and you know, Nicole mentioned, or maybe I think it was you, David, um, the West Wing and how it is very idealistic and it wants you to believe everyone's getting along. And, and don't get me wrong. I love the West Wing. The West Wing is a superb program. But yeah. I think this is the antidote for those who are uninterested in that ide- in that program's idealism, and I think maybe the other way around too. If you know this is too cynical for you, maybe you would like The West Wing, um, and I think that likely more realistic to what. It is like when you go on the Hill and all these staffers are talking to one another, as Nicole can, can attest to as well. And uh, it's not President Bartlett. It's more like Malcolm Tucker in yeah. terms of the kind of people that wander the halls. And I think Although it's...
2: Although not Anna, as creative with the swearing.
0: Yes. I, Malcolm Tucker is a visionary when it comes to that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was smart to not actually ever have like the president or the prime minister appear. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. also... Yeah, you have these people acting with their will, quote unquote, while the president and prime minister have no idea what these people are doing.
0: Yeah, you know, Pierre Capaldi just straight up fires uh I I keep saying Pierre Capaldi, but Malcolm Tucker straight up fires uh Simon Foster at the end, saying, like, I've just talked to the PM. He doesn't yeah. want you anymore.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting to me. That, yeah, he's like, no, this is what the prime minister wants because I decide what the prime minister wants. in like most of these matters, right? He's he's able to speak for him in that way.
0: Yeah. And, and I think this movie has an interesting disconnect between those who hold power and those who execute power. Um, You know, the, you, like you said, we don't see the president. We don't see the prime minister. All we see is, you know, people scuttling about underneath them, making all these things happen and making a lot of very important decisions. Yeah, they're deciding um, if a war is going to happen. Right, if a war is going to happen. And then right, similarly... The planning, I,
2: planning committee.
0: Yes, the planning committee, yes. One with the least interesting name, uh, which, by the way, totally happens. Oh, um, yes. Boring committees, always great journalism fodder. Look at boring committees. Uh, anyway, you also have characters like James Galfini's character who is this warmongering general and um, he's.
2: No, 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 He's a, he's a peacemongering general, like a stealth peacemongering general.
0: I guess so. Yeah, you're right. Um, But he is this guy that he has this like consistent crisis of masculinity in the entire movie. When anyone questions the fact that he's still a soldier and it becomes kind of a punchline to him throughout the entire movie. And it reminds you in this movie that like, Everyone making the decisions for all these people who are going to go to a war. No, literally nothing about what it's like to go to war. The dude in the room who's supposed to know about that included. Well, it's a, I,
1: I think it's I think it's more that he probably did ex- experience war at one point or like combat or something at one point, but it's, he's so far removed from it now. You know, he's what? sitting in the comfy chair eating takeout.
2: Doesn't he explicitly say that if once you've actually been to war, you want to get as far away, you want to do anything you can to keep it from happening again?
0: He does. But then he also says that you have to lose enough troops where, you you know, you can't lose too many troops because it looked like you've lost, but you have to, you know, lose enough.
2: Some of of them have to be alive at the end or else it looks like you've lost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: like, because those conversations, I mean, they portray it in this very comedic way. Of, uh, oh, they're talking in like a, a kid's room, uh, right. and, and Doing the math with a calculator that makes, you know, you did it sounds at you while you're, while you're doing <laughs> it. But like, I believe that conversations like that happen. Like, you have like, what's the acceptable risk of like, okay, how many people are going to die if we take this action? Is that acceptable loss or not?
0: That's yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And hopefully, it's not being done in like an axis sketch, right? <laughs> like, uh. Yeah. So, I mean, critics loved this movie when it came out. It it got nominated for an Academy Award. It is, you know, I think it's like 90-something around tomatoes if we want to go by that. Um, However, one interesting comment that I noted from one of the critics was uh, David uh, Darcy from the Screen International. He said, uh, quote, the release of the film may be poorly timed given the new presidency of Barack Obama. It's exuberant. Uh, boundless cynicism will test the demand for political satire in Obama-infatuated America, and I thought that was really interesting because when you think of this movie as a historical document of of cynicism and uh, frustration with a uh, inept government dealing with a foreign war, which is how a lot of Americans on both sides of the aisle felt when George W. was heading out the door, and I and you know the war in the Middle East was still not resolved or under wraps and uh and you look at this movie that just completely tears that entire process apart coming out right as you have a president being uh elected that was really the antithesis of everything that that was it was the complete polar Uh,
1: opposite in 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 image yes
0: in image right well i'm not going to get into actual politics of barack obama but an image and pure image of a young, you know, African American man uh, stepping into, in you know, a democratic presidency was polar opposite to the Bush dynasty, and uh, and the Bush dynasty also represented war for a lot of people, and the Obama years at the beginning did not for many people, and I think it's interesting to look at this movie coming out around that time because it does test like, are you going to laugh at this right now? And people did. And Veep ended up coming out of that and being incredibly successful through the Obama years and into the Trump years. And I I think it's on its last season now. Yes. Um, But I think that this proved that I think as we get more in tune with modern culture and contemporary culture, especially social media and so many barriers get broken down between us and our politicians, we are more willing to satirize them and to look at them as very flawed people. And that's kind of what this type of humor does, versus something like like The West Wing. Oh, see,
1: I, I mean, yeah, I I agree that yes, we're like this is a full on satire, but I and I don't I'm not a full political scholar, uh, but there's a, a reason that you know like that political cartoons started to exist. I think that people have always wanted to to tear down and take a take a shot at politicians, uh, and every once in a mm-hmm. while you get a movie. Like, I think I think a movie like this though. You could change some things about it and uh, and make it work in just about any like age. You know you, you take out the cell phones and the running around and uh, like the, some of the modern cars, and you could say this movie takes place in like the eighties, and it'll probably still fit the political landscape there as well as it does today.
0: Yeah that's a really good point. I think it totally would. I I think what I'm getting at in terms of like modern stuff is like I think that the the veil of secrecy surrounding what it's like to be a politician kind of gets w- broken down when you have AOC on Twitch making her, you know, dinner while answering policy right. questions, right? No no yeah like, you're right. You're like right. then it, then it kind of becomes like oh yeah, these, you know, these people can be on Twitch answering policy questions, and they can also be doing incredibly stupid things like this, like we see in the movie. And, um, and that's what fascinates me about this movie, because everybody is kind of a moron. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's not really an educated voice in the room for a lot of the time, which I, I do think happens at varying levels of politics. I think that happens in any facet. There are so many companies running in the world that are run by morons and it just permeates our culture in so many ways. And this movie does a great job of playing fun in it when it comes to governing.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's, there's one, I, I want to read the line in its entirety. Uh, thank God. I think it's is probably, it's probably one of my favorite little rants that someone does. It's uh, Simon Foster. So it was after uh, Toby was late to the meeting and he was like, look, I'm right. I was late for the meeting. I'm sorry, but it's not like I threw up in there. Is it? Like, no, you're right. I'm being unfair. I should be thanking you for not throwing up. Well done. You're a star. You didn't wet yourself, did you? You're in the right city. You didn't say anything overtly racist. You didn't pull your <laughs> out and start it and shouting Willie Banjo. No, I'm being really unfair. You got so much right without actually being there in the beginning of one of the most important moments of my career. Thanks. You're a legend. <laughs> I'm just like proving that that's the perfect. Summary for everybody in this movie of like we're doing the right things. Like, what did you actually do? Nothing. I know.
0: Yeah, everybody's I love how looking all, for
2: cookies for showing up and doing their jobs properly.
0: Right, right, right. I love how all the most important conversations are happening, uh, just like over takeout bathrooms. and bathrooms. Yeah, in bathroom. yeah, bathrooms, and that's yes. totally true. Like, the and, and the fact that they have these like hidden committee that you know the war committee, the future planning committee. This stuff happens all the time where you have certain committees and certain meetings in Washington that other you know, congressmen and, and senators want to keep away from the rest. And they kind of you know, guide them behind these doors. <laughs> and, uh, and this movie has a lot of fun with it, especially when Toby leaks it to the press, when he leaks it to CNN and CNN shows up. Uh, I love the war committee scene where the assistant secretary of state is like, you could call this a war committee but I could also call this glass of water, water a shoe. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> you can call anything anything. Uh, I love because it starts off and it, it seems like uh, Karen Clark is so paranoid. It's like, there's a war committee. There's, there's totally a war committee. And you're supposed to just be like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. But then it turns out she's totally right the whole time.
0: Yeah. And, and she's also like, one of my discussion topics was there's, I think there's a commentary uh, on the American government and and this could be said for other governments too, but I think America has an international reputation of bullying other governments, mm-hmm. especially when it's into submission, with especially with wars but <laughs> um, and foreign conflicts. But we really like to push people in whatever direction we'd like to, them to be in. And Karen Clark does that so wonderfully with the continuing meat puppet gag of uh, <laughs> of Simon oh, Foster. She I'm only wants Simon Foster in the room so he can sit there in the room and look like he's supporting her
1: yeah cuz he's the guy who thinks that there's not going to be war but then the co- the mountain of conflicts
0: oh. what is that line <laughs> like and james uh i mean uh james Gallofini's character has that on his wall <laughs> yeah we must climb the mountain of conflict yeah, what,
1: what does that line. even mean? But that's it like doesn't that's mean anything. But it that's that's exist. why it's the perfect soundbite because
2: it can
0: mean anything because it means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't mean a lot, and that's how a lot of this movie is. And um, I think what I also really really dig about this movie, and I'd love to talk about everyone's favorite like quippy moments in the movie because I think the writing has carried over really well in Veep because that was one of my discussion topics was, you know, what is, for those who have seen Veep or have an understanding of what Veep's about, you know, what are the best parts of this that have now carried over into what the next generation of this style of comedy is? And um, for me, it's some of these really quippy and uncomfortable and lightning fast one liners that are you know shooting back and forth between not just people like Peter Capaldi, um, but even like Toby, when his girlfriend finds out he's cheating on him or cheating on her, uh, that is, Oh, God, that scene that is such an awkward scene. What a scene! I cheated on you because I wanted to stop the war <laughs> pretty great, pretty great <laughs> uh, so let's also talk a little bit about uh well, first of all, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts like on terms of like your favorite scenes or favorite one liners because like this movie's chock full of them.
2: Well, I mean, I have to admit that as much as I dislike so many of the people in the movie, except for Malcolm, whom I perversely love just because he has such a flair for vulgarity, <laughs> um, is I actually do use the phrase "difficult, difficult lemon, difficult" in <laughs> my difficult, <laughs> every in
0: day. <laughs> oh, what every a
2: day usage!
1: It's so yeah. many great weird little phrases. I uh, favorite scene. That's a really difficult one. Um, maybe when they introduce the the uh, Scottish guy, because so, now there's two people yes. <laughs> talk like Malcolm Tucker. Uh, but I also really just love the scene when Simon Foster is standing in that room in the UN building, just broken, talking about mints. It's, it's so bizarre, but it's just like, do you want a mint? Like that's his this is it, somehow he's gone beyond the point of mental break
0: that he's just like in a Zen state. Yeah. I, I think my, I also love the, um. I'm not going to repeat it on air because I also can't remember the quote that well, uh, but the dolphin scene, I'm uh, not dolphins. That's the a shark documentary. The shark documentary, the shock documentary like, you, you is really, one of the best yeah. lines in the movie. You really can tell the females. <laughs> Something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so did did you guys have trouble at all with... Um, I watched this with my fiance, and you know she's not a huge fan of dry British humor. It doesn't ring as true for her as it totally does for me. And this is like dry British humor on overload. Um, how do you guys think that translates now watching it as, like, we're American, right? Like, like does speak for yourself.
2: Let me check the label. The... Right. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, did you have any trouble following some of the zaniness of this script as it was bouncing back and forth with a bunch of British people? I think, Nicole, your son said it was a bunch of British people yelling. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, my younger son watched this with me, and he, he wasn't giving it his full attention, which you kind of have to if you're going to follow what's going on. Um, but was like, can we, can we watch something light now? And now that this is over instead of like a bunch of British people yelling. So,
0: um, yeah, it's kind of heavy in that way. I'll give him that.
2: <laughs> it is. This is one of the wordiest movies I think oh, I have so ever much. seen in my entire life.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is. It is predicated entirely on conversations, very little action. Uh, it, you have to be like paying attention to what, and I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely jokes, but I I would say each scene does a pretty good job of advancing the plot in one way or another, and so you have to be paying attention to what people are saying, or you, like, if you don't pay attention for five minutes, you're gonna be lost on what the current threat is.
2: Well, and this is this is pretty much how politics goes. Yeah, you know, when you're spe- when you're an insider, is you if you're not alert every second something could go horribly wrong, or you could completely miss something vitally important and lose your job. Um, yeah. or somebody who is just waiting right behind you for your job can give you just that one little extra shove and get you out of your spot. Yeah. You know, there's that, uh, uh, character that Zach, what's Zach his Woods. name? Place. Uh, yeah, he played Gabe on The Office, and he's just the yes. the he's viciously trying to take Shad. down Anna Chlumsky's character at all times. She's the one who actually wrote the "Put Pip" that they I, refer I, who to. Who wrote
0: that? Charles Dickens, yeah.
2: right? Which she, she's is, the
0: biggest carryover to Veep, by the way.
2: Yeah, that's a main that's character just in an, Veep. You know, it's it's just an acronym about that gives like pros and cons for war and gives many more cons than prose and ends up being a, an anti-war thing that everybody tries to swing in their particular direction.
1: Yes, but then, but then it ends up getting her the most of what she wants in her career when people take it and then change it to not have anything that she wrote within it. Uh, I... God, Zach Woods in this movie... <laughs> he's, he's playing... He's playing Jared from... Uh, Silicon
0: so Valley. Valley, but he's also playing Gabe from the he plays the same character and everything, and I'm cool with it. Y-
1: yeah, but like, the, but he's more like aware and more like bitter and angry uh, and like undercutting because Jared has a sincerity to him and also yes. has the best lines that uh Chad does not. Uh, one thing that, that kind of as we were talking about, all these all these meetings that happen kind of behind closed doors, uh. I really thought the the scene with uh, Linton and Malcolm was really interesting because they're kind of the two that are probably the most intelligent in a way. They are the ones who are like who are making things happen. They're the most clever. I, I don't know about intelligence, but they're, like they're the most clever. Of uh, they're actually the ones kind of making wheels turn and moving people into place. Uh, and there's a line that Linton has that I, I absolutely loved. Uh, this is. Uh, they're in some room. He's like, "Don't raise your voice. This is a sacred place." Now you may not believe that, and I may not believe that, but <laughs> by God, it's a useful hypocrisy,
0: and that is beautiful. That is brilliant writing. Yeah, they they, they are like the same archetype, right? It just one is vulgar, and the other is calculating and overly friendly right <laughs> um yeah. but they do the same thing they they blow people off they push people in the submission they edit papers like literally um you know the paper the the, the quip i can't pronounce it Tip. No one quip pip. no for this movie uh that paper is being revised <laughs> like seven times over by different parties to make it say what they needed to say to be politically relevant to them uh throughout the movie it's great um one thing I also want to drop back to again, I, I really do love um James Gallofini in this movie. I, I think he's great in this movie. And um he went really hard on like learning this role. He was given access to the Pentagon to wow. actually interview real generals and uh, and kind of get an idea of how that process would work and um basically it's the method act behind them for a little bit. And the director of this movie, I'm gonna butcher his name, it's Armando. Anucci, I believe. Ianucci. Um He's known for having his actors improvise their lines, which is uh, cool, considering how intense this script is. I was going to say, there, there's definitely some improv in some scenes. You can kind of feel it. Yeah. And one of those scenes is one of the most intense showdowns between characters is Feeney's general character with Malcolm Tucker, Peter Cabaldi when those two go at it and they're threatening one another and it gets really, really, really intense. And it gets to the point where even Malcolm Tucker kind of steps back and he's like, Whoa. Um, that's because Peter Capaldi actually dropped out of character in that scene and mm-hmm. was like, I'm scared of this man. right now.'" James <laughs> Gandolfini uh, was a big dude. Yes. He was yeah. a very big dude. You know, when, when you when Tony Soprano sitting there yelling at you and, and, great lines are being bantered back and forth. What actually ended up happening was Capaldi ended up stopping filming the scene. And he's like, I'm afraid he's going to physically pummel me actual quote, please give me better comebacks. (laughs) And then they had to think of better comebacks because this script was 237 pages long. (laughs) That is insane. Just for context, people, um, you know, for, for, for the audience, you should have maybe a script page per minute.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. A page is typically a minute. It's a Ninety
0: minute movie ish. So.
1: Uh, it's a hundred and, or it's an hour and like forty nine minutes or so. Uh, yeah, a lot. It, I guess it's, I guess at the rate they talk though, they're breezing through like four pages well, in a yeah, minute. Cause, right? cause, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to realize like what typically happens in a minute is like there's some scene setting and there's dialogue, but it's not as like this quick back and forth. It's like people t- talking at like a a casual pace and there's pauses and reactions and all that. And this is just like talk, 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 talk.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's totally, I think what has served veep so well. And I think veep, the reason people love veep is because you have really great actors in veep and you have great actors in this. Everyone in this movie gives a trick, in my opinion, a terrific performance. And I think you require that when you don't have a lot of set pieces, you don't have a lot of, frankly, you don't have a lot of plot. Like the plot of this movie is, Simon Foster says something stupid on the radio and then has to go to his grave over it. And that's the plot of the entire movie. Yeah. And There's not a lot of plot, but it is sustained well, entirely by these backroom meetings between very quippy and intense people.
1: God, but the genius of how they put it on the wall as the reason that he resigns or gets I fired. Know.
0: <laughs> it's so great. The wall. Oh, I want to. Let's talk about the wall for a moment. And the what is the guy's? I don't even remember his name. There's a guy that lives next to his office. Uh, that lives next to Foster's office in in London. It's Steve Coogan as the actor. Steve.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: It took me a minute. That he looks yeah. so much like a normal everyday guy that I almost yeah. didn't realize that was him.
0: Yeah, and the wall of the side of this office is falling into his mother's garden. And uh, it is just this perfect metaphor for governmental ineptitude of, like, they don't fix the wall for the first three times he asks. Then they finally come out and lay some, like, really bad, like, like Like structural beams on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then those break. And, uh, the wall ends up falling into the garden in some capacity, I believe. And then this guy invites the BBC out to report on it and it becomes, it becomes a scandal over a wall breaking. And it's all just so, it's so perfect. It's such a non issue political crisis that gets spiraled way out of control.
1: I, also really like that they showed not only like the big high profile like the war meetings but also like the pure mundane level of politics yes. of we need to deal with the septic tank like that comes up like three times right. it's just like these you can't small, just be like Simon things. Cowell
0: no you can't be like Sam, Simon Cowell and say that they're, they're mental and then uh, send them on their way <laughs> he actually does have to fix it yeah, yeah. And it's just, you have to you have to listen to people come to you and tell you their
1: problems, and you have to be like, well, "I will, we'll, we'll, we hear you, we'll fix it." Probably yeah. not fix it,
2: right? Yeah, and definitely. it it shows the you know the most effective government worker in the movie who actually cares and does her job is like this super low level, like local government coordinator. Oh yeah. Helps this guy, you know, figure out what he needs and tries to get attention paid to it and actually acts like a human being and has compassion for the constituents,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's this is this is a political movie for the cynic. Uh, if if you if you want to believe and and that. Your government has your best interest in mind, or even that there's competent people running your government, and then this, some of this movie might come off as overly cynical to you. If you are an incredibly cynical person, this movie will probably be very enjoyable. And yeah, I think it vibes that's with me. Yeah, yeah, it vibes with me too. And uh, I think that's part of the thing is like my fiance loves The West Wing, and um, and I think she. She has a better heart than I do. And I am a darker person. And I think that, you know, when this type of comedy totally, you know, jives with me, um, she's more of along the line of like, you know, she wants to see President Bartlett figure out that international crisis. And that's great. And I love that part of that show. And I keep comparing it to The West Wing because I think that's an apt comparison. But I suppose there's a lot of really idealistic um, political movies out there.
1: You know, you know what I love about The West Wing is how the crisis always lasts long enough for the president to learn an important lesson and then he figures <laughs> out how to handle it. All uh, yeah, if you if you want to watch an episode where you believe your government has your best interest at heart,
0: go watch the cheese ball day episode. The great cheese ball. Oh, yes, Andrew Jackson would bring a cheese ball into the White House foyer and everyone could have a piece of cheese and that meant that they had a say. I've seen The West Wing a lot.
1: Also, Nick Offerman's
0: in that episode. Yes, he is. He's trying to explain to people why they need to make a wolf highway. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) which is quintessentially Nick Offerman. It's a good episode. It is. Yes, um,
2: I've never seen The West Wing. Sorry. No, just
0: go watch that episode. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah, but this is this is totally the opposite of that. uh,
1: What's what's this? uh, Who was who's behind it?
0: Aaron Sorkin. Oh, Aaron
1: Sorkin. Aaron did. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. Aaron Sorkin was so hopped up on cocaine while writing that show. <laughs> that See, uh, you know, we can
2: write dialogue that fast.
1: Oh yeah. It's eventually why he got fired. <laughs> well, not yeah, the cocaine. It's because he was taking forever to get the scripts on time because of the cocaine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, you can tell when that show switches into being less Sorkin-y.
1: Ugh, so, it's, it's
0: a real hard left turn. Anyway, this movie, movie yeah, anyway, this movie. Um, a couple other things I wanted to bring up is that, you know, we we've briefly mentioned the thick of it, but if this is something that does appeal to you, there's three seasons of the thick of it out there. Um, they focus pretty much squarely on Capaldi's character, Malcolm Tucker. Yay. Um which is pro- right, which is actually why you might be into it because he sees the best part of this movie. Let's be real. Uh mm-hmm. a lot of the characters in the movie are not in um actually I think he might be the only person from in the thick of it that really carries over. Now that I think about it. Hmm. And, uh, and it's a very interesting show because again, that was also created um, by the same person that ended up creating deep. And, uh, and I'm also, I just going back to Veep one more time. I really do want to touch on the fact that like this really weird film that was created by an indie studio that had a bunch of people in it that they're not a list actors necessarily. Um, by a you know a British director or he's not British is he? Um, what is he? Well, a name like that is I. He's, imagine he's Scottish. He's Scottish. Scottish. Okay. Um, and my point is, is that all these factors do not normally align to then spin off and create one of the most popular American television franchises. And I think that's really cool. I think that the fact that this tiny little thing was able to spiral into what became Veep, and if you've never seen Veep, it is great. Like, Joe I've never said seen this. It. it's awesome. It is like this on steroids, if you can imagine it. It's like this, but with money to actually make the, the show because huh. HBO makes it. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. But I, I just think that's so cool. And, and I can't think of another instance of that happening, but maybe the office is probably a decent example. Um, though this is not necessarily a remake. It's a reimagining within an American culture, but I think it's really cool. And you look at the legacy of what Veep is going to leave behind is, you know, one of the most insane performances by an actress in television with Julia Louise Dreyfus. None of that would have happened without this weird little movie that not a lot of people have seen, at least Americans. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's pretty rad. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, they—it's—it's they, it's stocked with some of the most solid character actors in mm-hmm. both Britain On and the, the United the States. Yeah, like uh, Mimi Kennedy playing Karen Clark is yeah. so solid and so good at playing this woman who is very canny politically. She knows how the machine works, but she's still hasn't quite got the hang of how to get respect in the in d c nor does her her counterpart uh who plays uh Gina McKee, who plays Judy Malloy uh over in the British side of things, and you know both of them are very politically smart but have trouble getting respect just by dint of being female
1: yeah, poor mm-hmm. Judy.
2: So, but Karen Clark at least she knows how to play the game. And that she you know the game eats you know. her at the end. Yeah.
1: Hmm? The the game beats her at the end. Yes, it uh, does.
2: Yeah. She trusts yeah. someone too much and he screws her over.
0: Yeah. Though I do love the um what leads to like the most misogynistic like comment in the in the movie is this absurd running gag of her tooth, like hurting and then all of a sudden starts like bleeding from her gum and then like uh what's his name the guy we were talking about david oh um linton yeah linton the assistant secretary of state it's like oh my god it's just unsightly it's ungodly you need to get her out of here it's just it's it's this really like sickening joke of this is his perfect excuse to push the woman out of the room and she's yes. just completely unsightly and uh and this movie definitely has a ton of that. And I think Washington had a ton of that and is getting better at that. I actually think that you could probably look at a lot of the stuff happening in this movie and it's dated a decade later, significantly in terms of like mm-hmm. society. I, I think in terms of the, I don't know. I, I think women there's have the, a lot more power in Washington now than they did 10 years
2: ago. Yeah. yeah. But it, it also, you know, it, I, I actually agree that it's dated, but more in the sense of even as little as 10 years ago, it, it only took like one moderate scandal to take somebody's career down. Mm. And that doesn't happen anymore.
0: No. <laughs> well, no. I think it bolster you
2: <laughs> depending on who, who it is.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it depends on your level of power. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he was Simon Foster was low enough level they could be like, oh, he's so incompetent he can't even make a like fix a wall, get rid of him. But I I
0: get what you're saying,
1: and uh, yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, Yeah,
0: there's there's a saying I really like, and um. I honestly don't know if he's taken it from somebody else but I'll just credit him cuz I think it's him. Um I like Justin Robert Young as as a political podcaster. I think he does a good show. Politics politics politics. Check it out. Um you know, he has something he says on his show that power is is future power. Um and and, and all the power you you might have or people might think you have is entirely contingent on whether or not you will have power in the future. Hmm. And this it doesn't matter if you have power currently. As long as you're going, you're going to have power down the line. And, um, and this movie does that really well. Simon Foster is only a relevant entity as long as he sits in the room and says just enough for, for everyone around him to rally behind an anti-war effort. <laughs> like just enough. And as soon as his perceived future power is gone then people who do have future power can strip it, can completely strip him of all of his power. And people who are in positions of power in this get so quickly shot down when their ability, that power in the future just gets annihilated at you know a moment's notice. And I think that's an interesting commentary because that is what Washington is. The most powerful people right now in Washington are people with perceived future power. Um I'm not going to look at the Republican side because it, they have a sitting president but if you look at like the Democrats AOC has future power Pete Buttigieg future power like these are people that you look at more than like Chuck Schumer who's sitting in power because their party is looking at who is going to be the next person to be in power and I think this movie does a great job playing with that
1: Yeah I think for for every like politician most of us can name there's like six more that we don't know their names who are just yeah. kind of there, uh, but the the ones typically we pay attention to are the ones who are like, yeah, making moves, or like, oh, there's a future for them, and we're gonna see them here, here, and here. Where it's like, at the same time, there's you know, fifty people in a meeting right now whose names I could not tell you, uh, who have been doing this for years.
0: Yeah, and, and the only people that matter in this in this movie are people that are relevant to the next scene and relevant to whatever cause they're trying to promote at a, you know, committee meeting. And as soon as they are not relevant to the bandwagon, they're immediately pushed off of it in the most aggressive way possible. Like Simon Foster. Uh, I I forget how short Tom Hollander is. Short man. (laughs) Dude is so short. I also do love his really weird, like awkward stint of talking about Kiara Knightley in this movie right around the time he was filming a movie with her uh, in real life, <laughs> uh, oh, to yeah. The pirates. Yeah. I
1: forgot that whole scene in the beginning of like, who would you have on a desert Island? <laughs> like
0: what, uh, what did he first say? Like it, Mandela is too boring and everyone would pick Mandela and he doesn't <laughs> have a girlfriend or a wife, so he can't go to that. And then he goes to Kira Knightley, which is just too pervy. <laughs> Great it, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So guys, uh, this was my international pick. At the very least, the guy's talking about international politics in some capacity. I think I can slide under the radar there. Like, uh, does I I anyone won't... have any closing thoughts?
1: Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Tucker refers to someone as the baby from Racerhead in this movie, <laughs> which is such a specific and deep cut that, <laughs> holy crap, that's amazing. If you haven't seen The Baby from Eraserhead, I don't know if I recommend Googling that. But
2: yeah, oh, man. you can't also, unsee it.
1: Also, don't watch a <laughs> head. Let me just put that out there. I you're don't okay. know
2: that I would say don't watch eraserhead. I would yeah. say don't watch yeah. eraserhead alone in the dark, which is how I saw Eraserhead. Yeah. Go
1: it's watch other David unsettling. Lynch. Go watch other David Lynch movies first to get a feel yes. for it. And then if you decide I really like what this guy's doing, watch Eraserhead.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Nicole, any closing thoughts?
2: Uh Peter Capaldi is fantastic and I love him. Uh don't ever call a Scotsman English.
1: Ah uh, yes. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> ever? <laughs> um it's, yeah, it's it like I said, you know, it's it's very clever. It's very the actors are doing fantastic jobs with this dialogue, which is extremely rapid fire and involved. And, you know, they're bouncing it back and forth to each other. It's it's kind of like watching a tennis match with, like, six people. Um, and somehow they're keeping the ball moving properly at all times. But I, I don't know. I guess I'd recommend it if you're really, you know, if you're a political animal. I'm sure this would yeah. be entertaining for you, but I am not. And I did not like any of the people except perversely. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just like, no, I can, I can do without this. I could, I could, I could have watched something else.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It, this is totally like my inner political junkie wanting to bring this to the table. Um, and I think it was a fun excuse to be able to do it. Cause it's really fun to talk about in terms of, you know, the, the crazy dialogue, the great performances, and also just the just the crazy uh, storyline following back and forth on these ridiculous meetings that the Brits in the, in the U.S. are having. Um, yeah, I think what I love about it is that somebody saw this and was like, we should make him a children's icon. <laughs> like, we should take this man and make him the character that every child grows up admiring. And he did a great job. But
2: Wait, I wait, wait. wait, wait.
0: What's, my child has had nothing to do with this. In the UK, in the UK, you grow up wanting to be the doctor. But I think that goes to show just the incredible range of Peter Kamaldi as an actor. He's an incredible actor. But as, as Nicole said, if, if you're not a political junkie, if you don't like cynical humor, if you don't like dry humor, this is not going to be for you. So there's, there's an audience. If you like Beep, watch this. I think that's a good litmus mm-hmm. test because I think Veep is also more accessible. So, very good. Well, next week we're watching. You did this to us, and the movie is again. Uh, Future me is going to put it right here one more time, just so everyone remembers. Again, we're watching Step Brothers. That's the movie. Uh, oh, David, oh uh, yeah, I know. David, where can people find you online? Uh, Broke by Mountain podcast that I do with Phil Rude. You can also
1: find me under the username Davluz. That is the A V L U Z. So, Twitter and Instagram find me there.
0: Very good. And what about you, Nicole?
2: Uh, On Letterboxd, Nicole underscore Davis on, uh, I'm not going to (laughs) give Twitter, Facebook, facebook.com slash movie go round podcast is where I I lavish most of the online attention for this podcast. So that is the best place to reach me and the crew here in general. uh, Ask any questions. You know, we put this out every week and hardly anyone ever asks anything, you know, go feel free. To ask a question on Facebook or on our email. What's our email, Brett?
0: Our email is hi at MGRpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. And you can also find all of these links, including those that Nicole just dropped, at social.mgrpodcast.com. That's where you'll find me on Twitter as well, along with both of these two wonderful co-hosts. But that'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We will be back next week with whatever you did to us. Ugh, I'm sure it'll be it'll be something so we'll see you then